Hi, I'm Emily Reed Daniels, and I'm the founder of Hear This Now and the author of The Regulated Classroom. Thank you so much for joining us today for our convos during COVID, which has been a conversation series we've been hosting for the last several months and have enjoyed amazing guests like Dr. Steve Porges and Dr. Goldie Muhammad and many others. If you're interested in this conversation and others like it, please visit us at www.hearthisnow.org, H-E-R-E-T-H-I-S-N-O-W.org. Welcome to our show. Welcome, Randall Redfield, to the Hear This Now podcast, the convos during COVID. And we have a special guest today. So his name is, uh, as I mentioned, Randall. And um, Randall comes to us from the Polyvagal Institute. And I want to take a little bit of time today to talk about that and talk about why he does this work that he does right now, and also the work that he formerly was accomplishing before Polyvagal Institute. So welcome, Randall. Thank you, Emily. Nice to see you. So Randall, maybe we should start with a little story about how you and I came to know each other. Do you remember how we met? Yeah, I do. You were sitting a few seats down from me at uh, Bessel van der Kolk's uh, trauma conference. What was that, like two years ago? Yeah, I think so. Maybe, two or three. Uh, it might have been 20, three years ago, 20, actually. Uh, 18 or 19. Yeah, definitely way yeah. before COVID. Yeah. 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 So, um, right. So I was um, at the trauma conference and I was sitting in a workshop about a physio cam. Do you remember this? Of course I do. <laughs> I remember the, the physio cam uh, and Benjamin Fry was, was uh, delivering the talk and uh, explaining this really new, cool piece of technology that they'd been working on. Yeah. yeah. And so the physio cam is, is this technology that supposedly can essentially read someone's physiological state, right? That's right. It's a camera that works wirelessly and it's able to uh, look at your change in heart rate just by looking at your face. Right. So very interesting tool for clinicians to consider. Yeah, exactly. And I was there because I was like, oh, my God, this would be an amazing piece of technology for the regulated classroom. Um, Because teachers, generally speaking, have very little awareness about their physiological state or how it's shifting or not. So anyways, um, I was sitting in the back asking lots of questions. And um, I don't know, at some point, I think you might have I might have said something to you. You might have said something to the to me. And then that's when I realized that you were part of ILS, which is Integrated Listening Systems. And um, I remember I got very excited about that because I understood the technology of the Safe and Sound Protocol, which again, folks in education are unlikely to know about that. So talk a little bit, Randall, about ILS and sure. your relationship with it and why you even, you actually started that company. Yeah, yeah, I co-founded it back in 2007. Um, it's kind of an interesting story, a long one, so I'll try and figure out how to tell it uh, briefly here. My background was, as we were just talking about, is in documentary production and cross-cultural education. 
I lived in Japan for years and uh, then got into documentary making in Washington, D.C. And, and had no real clinical background. Uh, but I was approached, I live in Denver now, and I was approached by a company back in the late 90s coming from England with a movement therapy that had been quite successful in England in helping kids with dyslexia and ADHD. And they were using balance and visual tracking activities, physical you know, exercises. And it was fascinating to me that you could help kids reading through these physical exercises. It was sort of unheard of at the time. Long story short, I joined the company, uh, helped them set up five clinics around the US and um, they didn't make it. They had a business model that didn't work. Uh, I was so fascinated by that therapy that I went looking for ways to make it better. And I ran across a doctor here in Denver, Dr. Ron Minson and his wife, Kate O'Brien Minson and worked with them. They had a movement therapy, excuse me, a sound therapy that came from France. And they were using different frequencies of classical music for the same purpose, to help kids with learning difficulties and with autism. Um, I worked with them for about a year and then together we formed Integrated Listening Systems in 2007. So we were using really sensory stimulation. Uh, we we're triggering or, or not triggering is not the right word. The, we were exercising the auditory and visual and balance systems at the same time as a way of training uh, individuals, not just kids, adults too, but primarily pediatrics was, was the target market. And it turns out that as you learn to process your sensory environment better, your cognitive functions improve, your ability to sit still and attend improve, and your ability to process or to regulate your emotions improve also. So uh, we had sort of experimentally developed this company and, and created this therapy. It was the first time this had been done. We really didn't know that it would work and it turned out it worked quite well. Mm -hmm. I was in 2007. So by 2016, we had trained about 10,000 therapists, mostly in the US, but in 30 countries around the world as well. And uh, we reached out to Stephen Porges. I had tried to read his book, his first <laughs> book. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. Oh, wait, stop that there. Stop response. there, though, Rin, because, yeah, if anyone's ever, which I've never purchased it, but I have a colleague yep. who bought it, bought, I think there's two of them, actually. And I borrowed it from her, and I got maybe three pages into it and wanted to die. It was worse than any graduate class I had ever attempted to take i was just like oh my god who talks like this <laughs> well, but i was i was fascinated by his work right you know it's a dense book uh it's uh, it's incredibly uh transdisciplinary mm -hmm. um it was over my head but you know we had therapists we had so many therapists that were familiar with steve porges's work and with polyvagal theory. And we kept hearing, oh, you really need to, to get in touch with Dr. Porges. You know, he, he explains why your therapy works so well, you know, why it's so effective. So I had to, you know, take a bite of it. And uh, it was a lot bigger than I was. And so I called him up and said, would you please do a podcast with me, you know, to explain the theory in layman's terms so that I can understand it, so that our therapists can understand, you know, I went out and asked so many of our uh, 
trained therapists using the ILS focus system, you know, what it was, tell me about the polyvagal theory, help me understand it. None of them, not a single one could even really come close to putting it into words. They knew it was important. They knew it was interesting. They knew it described uh, at a sort of neuroanatomical level why the ILS focus system was so successful. No one could explain it. He was incredibly gracious. He said, I would be happy to do an interview with me. This was right after his uh, uh, other book, his second book had come out. What's it called? I've got it right here. It's the pocket, the pocket guide. guide. Yeah, mm -hmm. that one. That one I have read. You should see my copy of it in my office. Right, a thousand exactly. times back and front. It's highlighted. totally accessible. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, so he said, "Well, you want to do the interview on the phone or here in North Carolina?" So two weeks later, I flew with Karen Anderko to uh, his house in North Carolina uh, with my little sound equipment, and uh, we did this wonderful interview. Uh, he built a fire. It was the middle of winter and he had a fire going in the fireplace. He made us a cup of tea and we sat down and talked for a few hours and recorded this wonderful interview. So we kind of got to know each other and become friends. And he said, would you be interested in, um, in helping me bring to market this auditory program that I've been working on for like 15 years? And um, yeah, let's talk about it. I mean, you know, I'm dying to know more about it. Turned out it was a five-hour program. Uh, he had filtered uh, popular music that included voices, whereas the ILS sound uh, program was all with classical music, so there were no voices involved. And to be honest, you know, it was a five-hour program. It was awfully short. Our programs were like 34 hours long. You know, we, we really looked at what we were doing as changing the brain over time. So a five hour program just seemed a little bit like wishful thinking to me perfectly. Honestly, I was kind of skeptical of, of it, but I was like, yeah, let's give it a try. He had some tests that he'd been doing in, in uh, different markets over the years. We worked uh, for a year on putting that program together and getting it ready for market. We released it, I think, in 2017, and I was just completely blown away by the results that we were getting. It's an extremely powerful five-hour therapy. Mm -hmm. um, almost so, too powerful almost <laughs> in some too cases. Powerful. Well, you know, it, yeah. initially it was. It was really a learning experience when we first released it. Mm -hmm. uh, as we got it out there, therapists came back to us pretty quickly and said, you know, this is incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, it works really well for both um, the pediatric learning difficulties and autism, sensory processing, you know, populations. And uh, at that point, we had a number of psychotherapists who were using it with uh, people who'd experienced trauma. So, and, so yeah, so yeah. just hold on one second. So I think that, um, so we're talking about the safe and sound protocol that right. Dr. Poor just developed and it's a, it's a learning, it's a listening intervention that has primarily been used in clinical settings. And so you at ILS were responsible for training people how to use the therapy, correct? That's because right. We were, the therapy we were really, itself is sort of self-administered in some ways. That's right. I mean, yeah. uh, well, not really. It's, you could say it's self-administered, I guess, but you know, Dr. Porges had worked on developing this over a decade and a half probably. And uh, the testing on it had been, some testing had been done 
not on a large scale. ILS at that point in time had trained thousands of therapists, as I mentioned, and we had so we sort of had a network built up through which we could uh, not only release the equipment in the in the whole program, but we had a lot of trainers. We had a, a wonderful pool of talent with which we could sort of uh, experiment with the uh, the new program. So uh, we released the Safe and Sound Protocol, I believe early 2017, really quickly found out that it was quite effective and powerful with a number of different populations in terms of helping them drop the defensive uh, wall, if you will, that very yeah, it, often it improved their exists. reactivities, right? Improved the reactivity. It, them it, that. it opened them up to therapy significantly. Yeah. Um, as as one uh, actually, and a psychiatrist put it to me, uh, it was doing in a matter of hours what sometimes psychotherapy would take months or years to do, in terms of preparing uh, a client for more therapy. Right. Okay, so right. it was it was almost like um, it was helping to 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 bring down that wall of defensiveness that often exists between the therapist and the client, and uh, we saw that both with adults as well as with pediatric populations. It was just fascinating to me that you know he created this intervention that was that powerful, mm-hmm. just using the auditory portal to the brain, as he put mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And on top I've... of that. Well, on top of that, he was he was coming into our world, if you will, with this incredible language of polyvagal theory. Mm-hmm. So he was not only bringing in uh, an intervention that I was skeptical of, but that proved to be extremely uh, effective. But he also had his whole language of polyvagal theory, uh, explaining the nervous system, explaining mm-hmm. the way the nervous system relates to, relates to uh, our cognitive functions, our uh, I mean, from a therapeutic perspective, uh, it explained a lot of the dynamic between the therapist and the client. Mm-hmm. Um, it explained so many different things about the nervous system, about our states, about our the way in which we trigger each other, the way in which we exist in states that we have trouble getting out of. And uh, so it was a whole new vocabulary for us to use at Integrated Listening Systems. Uh, and, and if you if you think about it, it's like this has all happened relatively in a relatively short period of time. Meaning, you're talking about meeting Steve in 2016, bringing it to market in 2017, which is also around the time that I think he released the Pocket Guide to the Polyvagal Theory. Here we are in 2021, and it's definitely, Polyvagal has definitely penetrated the clinical world, is now penetrating the business world and the, and the educational realm. And it's really exciting to see it proliferating in that way, which is why I want you to tell our audience a bit about what's been the evolution from ILS or integrated listening systems to the polyvagal Institute. Like how yeah. did these things come about? Well, or how did these to, things transition, sure. I guess, rather? Yeah, sure. I mean, backing up just a tiny bit, uh, ILS program was music and movement. So we were combining specific coordination visual tracking and balance activities with an auditory program. 
Dr. Porges came forward with this really effective auditory program, auditory only. Um, we integrated that into our suite of products in, at ILS uh, in 2017. Uh, my partners and I sold ILS in 2019 to a wonderful group out of Toronto called Unite. So the name of the company is now Unite with a Y. Unite uh, ILS is the name they're going by right now. And uh, they're in the process of integrating ILS's previous music and movement program with the SSP right now. Um, the SSP has, has been over the last couple of years sort of a rock star uh, in terms of uh, interventions. So uh, ILS is, Unite ILS has focused a lot on uh, the SSP. And uh, over time, they found that those 10,000 therapists that we trained previously have been integrating the SSP on their own, right? In their own clinics uh, with the SSP. So the focus in SSP have become integrated at a clinical level mm. by the people out in the field. Mm. And, and this is kind of, it's really an interesting dynamic in the sense that, you know, this is sort of the way ILS developed. We were getting direct feedback from the clinicians in the field that helped us develop new products and new trainings. And I think ILS, Unite ILS is doing the same thing right now. And mm -hmm. that there are these people out on the field that have been using the SSP really successfully and on their own combining it with ILS's previous auditory program called the Focus System. So Unite is this feedback loop basically mm -hmm. that's really informing uh, Unite ILS in a, a very positive, healthy way. Uh, mm -hmm. how to create better products and, and better interventions. Um, we sold the company and we talked in the past, uh, Stephen Porges and Deb Dane and myself, Karen and Derek, a number of other people that have been sort of toying with the idea of uh, why isn't there a polyvagal institute or foundation of some kind? Because really polyvagal theory seemed at that point and for the last I don't know, decade is been pretty much known in the realm of psychotherapy only, mm. right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, psychotherapists have used it for trauma. It's been extremely helpful in that world. Um, people outside of, of psychotherapists have been uh, not exposed to it. You know, mm -hmm. David Brooks of the New York Times did an unusual article on polyvagal theory probably a year and a half ago, but it's been pretty rare to see mention of it outside of the trauma world. And... <laughs> I have two teenage boys. So polyvagal theory helped me probably more with my boys than it did with ILS. <laughs> <laughs> I hear what you're saying. I, I, ILS was wonderful, uh, you know, running into polyvagal theory. We had this new language. It helped us understand why our clients were being so regulated, how the autonomic nervous system was impacting it. We sold it in schools. Educators were blown away by how effective it was to help their kids become calm. Uh, you had kids' behavior changing overnight, okay, literally sometimes overnight with that program. Um, schools continue to, to use the program. Schools are a very complicated place. Amen. Right? With, with bureaucracies, with rules, with uh, changing very tr transitory uh, staff. Mm -hmm. So we would sell into a school system and three years later find out that the people that were really big on ILS there had long left and the equipment was sitting in a closet somewhere and no one really knew what to do with it. Mm 
mm-hmm. complicated situation to try and uh, remedy. And uh, as we move, as we talked about, you know, polyvagal theory and why isn't it better? Why isn't it important in the world? Why wasn't it more sort of available to, to parents, to educators? I was going through this process of having two kids that had recently become teenagers. And uh, the more I understood polyvagal theory, the more it helped me understand the way in which we triggered each other, mm. two boys and I. Uh, co-regulation, the way in which I could walk into a room and just with a few words, do something you know that would put them in a place, a state, mm-hmm. where they would not be receptive to me. I would mm-hmm. put up that wall right mm-hmm. between us without even realizing what I had done. As I got into the theory more and understood it better, the hierarchy of states, the whole idea of neuroception, the concept of co-regulation, it changed, it changed our dynamic entirely. Uh, so I would say my understanding at a personal level of polyvagal theory was more important than what I had done all of those years, you know, at ILS and, and working with different therapists that were uh, using polyvagal language to explain what they were doing. It was the personal understanding that was most powerful. Mm-hmm. And uh, so with ILS being sold, it was, you know, this conversation of uh, a foundation or some kind of institute that got the word of polyvagal theory out there to other disciplines and other populations was something that, you know, we really should do. Um, we met in New York, uh, <laughs> it was March 4th actually, uh, because I came back to Denver and the pandemic was announced the next day. Mm-hmm. But uh, I met with Steve and Deb in New York and uh, March 4th, we talked about, are we gonna do this or not? You know, we're gonna try and get this institute going. We decided to do it. So pretty much all last year, I was working on trying to get the website up and the concepts for the institute together. And uh, we launched it in December. And uh, just last weekend, we sent out our second newsletter. So <laughs> we're, we're in the thick of it right now, talking with people like yourself about developing polyvagal applications courses. Uh, our goal as an institute is to try and bring polyvagal theory to different uh, disciplines, such as education, organizational management, parenting. Obviously, there's the, the clinical area that we're continuing to work on. So what, but what, like, I mean, <laughs> it was funny, I was on a planning meeting yesterday for a, a, a think tank that I'm co-facilitating And one of the things that we were talking about was sort of um, that for a lot of folks that are in this line of work, doing this trauma work in some way or doing this kind of cultural change work in in some form or fashion, that it really is a reflection of um, a more sort of centered purpose or a grounded purpose that people experience in their body or in their you know, in their life in some way. And so (laughs) one of my colleagues was like, it's like your Care Bear stare. (laughs) And I just giggled at that because I'm a child of the 80s and I loved the Care Bears, but basically like, do you know what I'm talking about, Randall, the Care Bears? Do you remember them? 
Yeah, but I don't know what the Care Bear stare so means. So I had forgotten what the Care Bear stare was as well. But the Care Bear stare is essentially like, what is the um, light that is beaming from the center of your chest? What is the light you're sharing with the world? That's sort of like, that. that's what the, it, it was just a really kind of funny, silly cultural reference. Um, and so there's this desire to bring the application of the theory but why? Why does that matter to you? What do you see um, happening in the absence of people having this language, having this paradigm shift? What, what's, what do you see that needs remedying? Why, why does it matter so much that people get access to, to this new knowledge? You know, it's, in a nutshell, I just think it's a piece of information that we can all use for communication and our ability to connect with other people and to understand where people are coming from in terms of their uh, emotional swings, their uh, behavior in general. Um, you know, polyvagal theory isn't an intervention. These days, people seem to be talking about it as if it's an intervention. It's not a, it's not a practice per se, like mindfulness or like like the SSP or the ILS focus system, where you're actually doing it with a particular therapeutic goal in mind. Polyvagal theory is more of a lens through which you see the world. And once you understand the essence of polyvagal theory, it's, it's very valuable uh, in terms of understanding where people are coming from, mm-hmm. why they're behaving the way that they do, yeah. Why they might connect with you, why you might or might not connect with them. Yeah. Your own behavior, your own emotional swings. Uh, so it's it's very helpful in terms of your own sort of self-discovery, yeah. as well as your understanding of how to relate to human beings in the world. I mean, <laughs> I say to people really- oftentimes that I feel like it's almost a new iteration of Darwin's theory of survival of the fittest. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's a new layer of understanding that you're either curated to, to be experiencing the world from, so from an overemphasis of that survival instinct, or you are experiencing the world from a place of social, which what I think Steve is now calling sociality, right? Like that people through their lived experiences and those that came before them, they're, they're, they are, um, you know, shaped, shaped to either kind of be surviving in this world, literally like a fight, flight, freeze, shutdown kind of surviving or they're negotiating the world and navigating the world from a place of social engagement. Um, and that sounds dualistic, but to me, it's a way in which to explain so many of the social problems that we encounter, whether that's addiction or um, suicidality or mental illness or whatever, those are all sort of adaptations of survival that, um, have consequence, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with ILS, um, with my experience there, it introduced me to the sensory world. It was a sensory lens that we looked through. 
we were always looking at, uh, you know, particularly the populations that we were involved with uh, around learning difficulties, sensory processing disorder, autism. Uh, we were practicing or implementing an intervention which really helped individuals process sensory information. Mm. And as you become better at processing sensory information, as you can better process the environment around you, what happens? Well, you don't have to worry about a lot of the basic functionality that you do if you have sensory processing issues. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that stuff is automatically taken care of and you have the brain space left to focus on higher cognitive, more important things, right? That you should be doing like sitting down and sitting still and attending in school and memory, all of the different higher cognitive functions that come with a regulated individual mm -hmm. without them having to think about it. Right. To draw a parallel with, with polyvagal theory, uh, when you have that piece of information, you are able to understand why people are behaving the way that they do. And with that comes a certain amount of a deeper understanding. You could even say a kind of compassion. Mm -hmm. Amen. I agree where, completely. Where, you, where you're like, you, you become more forgiving mm -hmm. of yourself and, and of other people mm -hmm. and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, you understand that nah, they didn't really mean to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're, they're just doing it because they're in that place and they'll probably come out of that state and, and be fine and look back and wish that they hadn't done that. Exactly. And, and, you know, so that's just at a regular level, not even touching on the world of trauma and the way in which I agree you know, being traumatized might put you, you know, make you get blocked up or stuck in different states. So as an educator, for example, if you are, God, if you're, if you're admin, if you're a principal at a school, you should know this stuff. You right? need to know the way in which your staff, as well as your students, are behaving, why they're behaving that way, what's going on, what is going on in the school that might detract from one's sense of safety. If you're, you're now a, you're speaking my you're, language, Randall. Now well, you're if, singing my tune. <laughs> if, if you're at a teacher level, it's the same thing with all of your students. Mm -hmm. And a lot of teachers are very, they have that understanding anyway, without polyvagal theory, they, they, they are more compassionate. They know that the kids are dealing with a lot at home. Mm -hmm. They know that sometimes they're bringing that stuff to, to the classroom and whatnot. But polyvagal theory just gives you a deeper understanding of the neurological basis for that, the neurobiological basis for, for behavior yeah. and for, for emotional movement within the day. And I think it also gives us a framework to help us determine what would be what would be ways in which we could be acting, um, you know, acting differently or um, intervening in a different way that might bring about a more regulated state in this in the collective or in the individual, right? Sure. sure. So, and I think one of the things that um, you know, we, it's funny because I, I said this to you the other day, but like one of the things that um, most, I'm most hopeful about is that we have so much believed in education, at least, but also culturally that that behavior is a choice and that when children misbehave or when adults do things they shouldn't do, that they 
were cognizant and that they were intentional. And I think that one of the things that is most exciting to me is that Polyvagal is also offering us um, another way in which to challenge some of the, the common forms of intervening. So behaviorism and behaviorist perspective has underlied or has been the underlying assumption or assumptive framework for so long in education. So I'll just use myself as an example when I was a school counselor and I would work with students who either were quote unquote ADHD or on the spectrum, autism spectrum, or were experiencing anxiety or depression. More likely than not, those children would have some kind of formal behavior plan that was crafted for them. Right. But the way in which that was written and also the way in which that was implemented all rested on tenets and principles of behaviorism, which is essentially that this child will do better if given an opportunity to be reinforced. Sure. When they made that down. right. Exactly. Exactly. It's all top down. I mean, exactly. It, it and so, the body. <laughs> exactly. And, and the irony is that the, the more that children in schools have challenged the systems and have challenged teachers, the more rigid we've gotten in the behaviorist um, commitment. And so not only did we go from behavior plans 20 years ago that were just crafted by like people like me who were relatively trained, but not hyper-trained. Now we have a lot of districts that employ ABA therapists on staff. And those children get very rigid ABA plans for how to reshape their behavior. And what we have seen and what many educators are reporting is the amount of trauma that's being induced as a result of those inappropriately applied interventions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And so for me, I'm like, hey guys, in education, there's another way. <laughs> There's another way. It's called polyvagal informed. You know, do you want to talk about that for a moment? Because that's well, a really it, exciting thing that's coming. To me, to me that conversation's about, you know, that sort of top-down uh, way of thinking mm-hmm. that that uh, has been going on in therapy and in education for decades that uh-huh. we were up against with uh, integrated listening systems. You know, we were a bottom-up therapy. Uh, which is to say we were using neurophysiological means to stimulate the brain rather than a cognitive discourse. Right. Um, And um, it's a little bit of an uphill battle. (laughs) A little bit? (laughs) (laughs) Why do you think I hike, Randall? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The, 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 um, I think the world's waking up to the fact that uh, top-down therapies are uh, effective for some kids and, and adults, but not effective for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that there is a significant portion of the population that uh, could use more bottom-up work, more emotional and psychological regulation through neurophysiological stimulation that's very mm-hmm. carefully crafted and carefully delivered, uh, which will allow that whatever it might be, 20, 30% of the population that really needs it, mm-hmm. that, that, that for whom that, that sort of top-down cognitive-based approach alone is not necessary. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, 
ABA seems to have a lock on autism in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows how long that will last? I think that uh, parents aren't going to put up with it. Uh, we had at ILS uh, so many parents that have been through ABA for years mm-hmm. with their kids that were somewhere on the spectrum mm-hmm. and uh, came and they would see with ILS, they would see results within a matter of weeks that mm-hmm. it took years to get through through a top-down approach. And I think that the, the change will come from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Metaphorically uh, and literally. That's right. I think that I think that parents are the words catching on. You know, everyone's online looking for answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, information is being shared. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, what's her wonderful uh, woman, Kimberly? Her name escapes me, but she started and she was an ILS mom that saw wonderful results using uh, the focus system. I think this might have been pre SSP and then the SSP as well. Um, got back about 2017, 2018, her, her Facebook blog or podcast, it was a, it was a Facebook, uh, started out with her just posting. She opened it up to other parents. It went from, you know, 10 parents to a hundred, all of a sudden it was 10,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the way in which the exponential way in which information is getting shared mm-hmm. from parent to parent is, is going to change that model. I think I just had a conversation with Dr. Porges, uh, not long ago about this, you know, you can take a skeptical route and say, oh God, you know, it'll be decades before ABA loses its lock on, <laughs> on the marketplace. I don't or think so. Could, or you could say now, not if I have anything might, to do it with might it. actually happen a little faster than uh-huh. that, the way in which parents are learning. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you look over at your, your friend who has a child that's like yours, and you see the results that they're getting and pretty quickly you're going to be calling ILS and checking it out. Um, all of this is, is not to say that top-down therapy is bad. Mm-hmm. It's just not enough. Mm-hmm. You know. And when I was trying to get ABA-related studies going at ILS, what I really wanted to do was to show ABA therapists that, that ILS, the SSP or the focus system, was a tool that they could use mm-hmm. to really get things going. That should be used on the front side of therapy to get an individual regulated, to get yeah. them to where the top, they can receive the top-down information. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you have to throw out the top-down training altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm hoping that, that those that come from that background will eventually start to integrate sort of bottom-up approaches you know, into their therapy. Uh, definitely, it's happening at schools all over the place. I mean, I took our little, you know, video camera to schools back in 2015, 2016, 17, all around the country and videotape what OTs were doing using the ILS focus system, you know, in conjunction with other therapies that they were doing that were top down and they were getting just killer results. Oh so yeah. I mean, that was, that was, you know, five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So schools are slow to react, right? The, the education world is a little bit like the medical world. Uh, mm-hmm. changes don't happen overnight no and, they do not uh, it's a little but, glacial so, but things do but with all the charter schools with all the independence that exists there's a lot of autonomy out there now in the yeah. school system so yeah uh, more and more schools are able to make their own decisions so i guess just to kind of wrap up our conversation um why why did did hear this now why does hear this now make the mark why do we get to be fortunate enough to be partnering with you guys um, 
in moving moving courses onto your platform and you all have generously um, agreed to participate in our conference this year. What about what we're trying to accomplish aligns with Polyvagal Institute? Yeah, the, um, the approach that Polyvagal Institute is taking to try and grow the Institute and get the word of polyvagal theory out there is to partner with groups like yourself who have already integrated polyvagal thinking into their work. Right, so you've already been teaching polyvagal theory. Your courses already talk to it really effectively, and you know the best thing for Polyvagal Institute to do uh, to really grow and to grow quickly and get the word out there as rapidly as possible is to partner with groups like you all that we know have a solid understanding of the theory and are already integrating it really successfully. So we're doing the same thing actually on a number of levels with with different groups. In addition, in addition to hear this now, we're talking with groups that are reaching out to parents, uh, talking to yoga instructors who are teaching polyvagal theory and yoga, uh, doing the same thing with large organizations and small organizations that are interested in learning more about polyvagal theory. We are not as an institute experts in any of these outside disciplines or fields. So the smartest thing I think that we can do is to partner with these groups, sort of create training together, right? Collaborate on the training, make sure the message is right and rely on your expertise in speaking to educators to, to reach that whole audience. Yeah, it's, it's you know what, it's, it's interesting because I don't, when I look for me personally, I look back on all of this and I do think that um, it's not just coincidence that I met you the two years ago in that, at that conference. And I mean, that was happenstance, but um, I think it was one of those things where in this particular work, people are coming together right now. And I think it is part of a bigger shift that's occurring in our country and in our time. And um, that's just my little own personal spiritual bent on it. But it, sure. is, very, it is very cool um, to be a part of work that I think is trying very much to um, cultivate more humanity in our humanness. You know what I mean? Totally know what you mean. It's also kind of interesting to think back, here we are with our headphones on, right? After yeah. a year of doing this, right? Yeah. About a, a year of not being around other people. Yeah. Uh, unless it's virtual. Right. And it, it is a nice, uh, you're mentioning that story is, is a nice thought back on the value of being together mm -hmm. in a physical location mm -hmm. where uh, to, uh, to people of, uh, of a similar uh, interest or, you know, kindred spirits, if you will, getting together at conferences mm -hmm. to, to share interests and connect like that. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what those events are for. Exactly. And it kind of also is a, is a sweet little polyvagal story. It, it is. How, it right? is. It shows how just sitting there having a conversation mm -hmm. can build into uh, can become so fruitful. Totally. Yeah, yeah it can be yeah. so fruitful. Yeah. yeah. Someday we'll do those again. And in the meantime, we'll keep we'll keep doing this. <laughs> this has its benefits, too, right? It does. You know? It does. It absolutely does. So it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. Yeah. Well, we really feel um, fortunate to have no to know you, Randall, and to be working with Polyvagal Institute. And um, 
we look forward to continued partnership as time time marches on. So thank you. Thank you, Emily. The feeling is mutual. I look forward to your event coming up in uh, early June. Yeah, we can't wait. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>